Are you a Christian who wants to go deeper into the roots of your faith? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Grafted, Jewish Roots of Christianity. This is a podcast for Christians who want to understand the Jewishness of Jesus and his word. I'm your host, Stephanie Pavlantos. I'm a bit of a Bible nerd. I'm also an author and a Bible teacher. In this podcast, we will stretch and maybe even challenge you to look at Scripture from a Hebraic point of view. We want to help you understand Scripture through the lens of the Hebrew language, culture, and history. Thank you for joining us. Today, we have Dr. Phil Giliotti. He is a medical doctor. He's a Bible teacher at Gift of Grace Ministries and at One in Messiah. He's also a Christian radio host for the Lamb Network. I'm excited to hear what he's going to say. I met Phil. uh, We actually taught a class together at Basora Institute. And since then, I have seen so many different videos and different things he has put out there. And this man is busy every night of the week, except on Shabbat. Thank you for being here. And and I'd like you to tell us a little bit of your story. Thank you, Stephanie. It's great to be here. It's an honor. It's a blessing. And it's been an honor to know Stephanie. I haven't known her that long, but it was great teaching a class with her. And I appreciate all the work she's been doing and all the work she is doing and all the work she will be doing. And I think we're going to get to to work on quite a few other things together. So um, as she mentioned, I'm a retired medical doctor. I retired about four years ago. I practiced medicine for about 40 years. I have two children. I'm married. My wife, Joan, has been a believer since she was basically in high school. I was not (laughs) until I was about 44, just about to turn 45. And, you know, for about, well, we had already been married about 20 years by that time. We just had our 48th anniversary. And she was praying for me the whole time (laughs) that the Holy Spirit would act on my life. And finally, one day when um, I was actually driving over 480, the Holy Spirit intervened in my life. At that time, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know who he was. And the interesting thing was, you know, like you, are, you always hear about people having knowledge about Jesus. People say, oh, yeah, yeah. Like when you say, do you know Jesus? They go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. But what they mean is they know some things about him, or they've gone to some church in the past, or they may have read a couple of books about him, you know, that sort of thing, but they don't really know him. And so what I did when I, I did a lot of driving in my job and you know, I was working 60, 70 hours a week and driving between places. And so early in the morning, I would listen to the news and, but mostly what I listened to was rock and roll. And like I tell people, I knew everything there was to know about rock and roll. Like if you mentioned a song, I would say, who sang it, who wrote it, what year it was released, what album it was on. I mean, all this ridiculous knowledge and one morning i'm driving east on 480 and i remember i was just before the tiedemann exit and i was flipping through the uh, channels and i came upon a preacher and i heard that little bit of a southern drawl and i immediately in my head said oh here's another one of these guys he's bilking little old ladies out of money he lives in a 10 million dollar house his wife's going to the country club today, and 
bang, I changed the, the station all in a second or two. And then something in my head said, put him back and listen to what he's saying. And the weird thing was I put him back and I started listening to what he was saying. And it was Charles Stanley. Um, I'm sure you all know of Charles Stanley. I've never met him in person, but he really kind of, um, the Holy Spirit used him to start changing my life in a very radical way over a very short period of time because I started listening to him, but he might as well have been speaking Greek because I didn't understand what he was talking about because I didn't know anything about the Bible. I mean, sure, I knew there was a creation and I knew there was an exodus and I knew, you know, Jesus died on the cross and I knew that he rose and I knew, but, you know, I just knew kind of the facts of it. And then I got to the hospital and it's like six o'clock in the morning and I get out of the car and I think, what was I listening to that for? And then the next morning I put him on purposely. I was driven to put him on purposely, found the channel again and listened. And he was actually doing a teaching about the temple. And he was talking about the sacrifices, the sacrificial system. He was talking about the Levites. And I knew there was a temple, but I didn't know about all this other stuff. So he was talking about the blood sacrifices, the unblemished lamb. And so I listened to that for a couple of days. And on the third or fourth day I was listening, he got to the point about taking a lamb to the temple and putting an putting the lamb on the altar. And then you put your hands on the animal and your sin was transferred to the animal. The priest cut the animal's throat, sprinkled the blood, and your sin was covered. Your sin was atoned. And I was sitting there, both hands on the wheel going, what? I never heard of this before. And then he asked the question, which changed my life. And his question was, what did that little lamb have to do with the fact that you had sinned. And I remember out loud, I said, nothing. And he said, nothing. And what immediately went through my mind is, oh, this is Jesus. You know, I had heard Jesus called the Lamb of God. And I thought they just called him that because he was nice. You know, he was cuddly like a lamb and was real nice. And then when that hit me, that's him. He's the unblemished sacrifice. I was speechless. And I spent the next, oh, maybe a couple of weeks just thinking about this. And I never sleep. So I would walk around during the night thinking about this. Who was Jesus? What did he do? Why did he do it? What was he thinking about while he was doing it? That was the thought that was kind of dominating my mind is, what was he thinking while he was doing this. I mean, this was such a brutal, horrible thing. Was he thinking about me? Was he thinking about all those people over there that are at church all the time? Or was he thinking about all these, you know, holy people over there? And what was he thinking about? And I was, you know, trained in all the sciences and, you know, have a BS in chemistry from Case. And I took all this math courses and I went through the engineering curriculum and through the basic science curriculum. I thought, I'll figure this out. You know, there must be a mathematical formula that explains this. And, you know, looking back on it, I'm chuckling because it really is pretty funny. But here I am, this frail, defective creature thinking, oh, I'll just figure out what he was thinking. 
Then one day it all came together. It was a winter night. I went for a walk. At the time near my house, it was kind of a semi-rural area. And now it's turned into a suburb. There's traffic and congestion and everything. But at the time, this was very early 1995. There were woods and little farms. And so there I was going for a walk in this woods. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit opened my mind and showed me that Jesus, Yeshua, was the unblemished lamb, the perfect sacrifice, that he is the only way that I can go to heaven, that his blood is the only way my sin can be forgiven. With, I'm not going to go into all the sin and the baggage that I had on me, of course, and I don't think anybody really wants to hear that, but I fell down, I knelt down, really, in this kind of wet snow, and I was wearing a pair of jeans and a flannel shirt, and the ground was all wet snow, and I laid there, and I was weeping and crying and confessing sins and repenting, and I don't know how long that went on, but I always think that if somebody would have been walking through the woods and seen me and heard me, they probably would have called the police and said, there's a crazy guy in the woods. <laughs> but when I kind of came to my senses, I didn't know what had happened to me, but I felt like this hundred pound stone had been lifted from my shoulders. And I thought, wow, I never felt like this in my life. And I looked up and there was this beautiful starry sky. And I was saying to myself, I want to be in your kingdom. I want to be in your kingdom. And I wasn't even sure what that meant at the time. I want to be in your kingdom. And then in my mind, I saw, and I would only tell the listeners and you, Stephanie, this because, you know, non-believers would think I was hallucinating, but I saw the bottom part of the cross and I could see blood running down the wood and it was so real that I put my hand up I wanted to touch it and then I looked and I didn't see the cross anymore but I saw my hand up and I thought to myself what am I doing what just happened to me so I ran home it was probably I don't know not very far a quarter of a mile I ran home I came came in the door. I was totally wet and big smile on my face. And my wife says, what happened to you? And I said, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the savior. And she said, I've been telling you that for 20 years. And I said, yes, but now I know it. I just saw it. So then I went to a nutshell version again. I went from, I don't want to go to any church. I don't care what it is. I don't want to go on Sunday. I got to go to work. I got to go make rounds. I don't want to deal with that kind of stuff to saying, oh, Sunday morning, I want to go to this place. And Saturday, they're doing a talk over there. And Friday, they're doing a talk over there. And Sunday night, there's a service at this place I want to go. And she was like dizzied by all of this. So that's kind of the general thing. But what happened with that was I didn't know anything about the Bible. You know, we had some Bibles around the house, but I had never, I had never read it. So I thought, like many people do, oh, I'll just read from the beginning to the end. Well, you know, that's some people think that's a good idea. Some people think it's not. But I thought, sounds like a logical way to proceed. Except that, you know, it's kind of hard to understand. 
you know, I was fairly educated. I was reading this and my wife got me a sixth grade Sunday school book called the Old Testament. So that I could understand. <laughs> so that was my first Bible commentary. And I still have it here somewhere in the mess that whenever I come across that little book, I always kind of chuckle and get teary eyed because it was so exciting. But long story short, I was studying the Torah and making notes and then reading commentaries and making more notes and reading other commentaries and making more notes. And I thought, why am I doing this? And every time I thought to myself, I got to go read a gospel or I want to read one of Paul's letters. And I would go and start reading something else. The Holy Spirit would say, go back to Numbers 10 and read that verse again and think about this. And I'd go right back. And so I don't know how long that went on, but a long, long time. And I started to understand, well, I shouldn't say understand because no one fully understands, which reminds me, you know, we, I always tell people when somebody tells you they understand the Trinity, the one thing that you know is they don't understand the Trinity. But so like I said, I understood it, but I started to see how everything prefigured Yeshua Jesus. Everything prefigured him. Long before I read John 5:39, the scriptures testify of me. All the scrolls are about me, whichever translation you have. I started to say, wow, he's being a mediator here like Messiah. Oh, he's standing between God and man, like Messiah. So I started making notes of those things. Everybody's heard of Jews for Jesus. Like most people don't know what Messianic Jews are, but pretty much everybody's heard for Jew, heard of Jews for Jesus. So I went to a program that Jews for Jesus did that they call Christ in the Passover. I was fascinated by it. Um, fascinated. And then I found out there was a Messianic congregation near me. I'm in the greater Cleveland area, as is Stephanie. And I thought, I'm going to go there sometime. And so I went over there, uh, Shabbat, and it was a nice congregation. It was a nice service and a nice message. And um, the man who was the rabbi slash pastor at the time came over to talk to me afterwards because, of course, we kind of stood out because everybody knew everybody and they didn't know who we were. So he told me his testimony. I told him my testimony. We got to be good friends. I started going every Saturday morning and I started listening to Paul Wilbur music, which I still remember being at a Christian bookstore looking for music. And I was just introduced to the vineyard and I was buying vineyard music. And I found this CD called Shalom Jerusalem, kind of Hebrew decoration on it and i still remember the girl working at the cashier the cash register said oh when you listen to this you're you're going to listen to it over and over again so i bought it put it in the car and i listened to it over and over again and uh i started following paul wilbur around like a groupie whenever he was within 500 miles of here we would go and so one saturday morning i got to meet him at a congregation in Pittsburgh, and we went out to lunch together, got to know each other, and then we'd see each other at concerts, and we got to be friends, mm -hmm. and um, now I'm on his board, and his his two boys have been calling me Uncle Phil since the late 90s, and now their wives have been calling me Uncle Phil since they got married, and their kids call me Uncle Phil, the kids' kids. And so he had a huge impact, as well as Marty Getz, 
who I'm very good friends with, and the, the Chernoff, the whole Chernoff family, Rabbi David and Joel and their sister Hope. So I kind of came into the movement that way and realized, and Stephanie can attest to this, realized that people in churches didn't really know much about Torah. And you would mention something and they would look at you like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even pastors would say, oh, we never really studied that in Bible school. And it amazed me. So I put together this 33-part study of the Torah that's meant for Christians who don't really know anything about the Torah. And it's 33 one-and-a-quarter-hour sessions. <laughs> and it's a survey course. It's not even the cliff notes. It's a general survey. I always start a session by saying, if you have any Jewish friends, don't tell them that we're doing five chapters of this book in an hour and a quarter, <laughs> unless you know CPR. So actually, I started putting that on a video format. There's 29 of the sessions on there, and it's on a YouTube page called The Torah Class. The Torah Class. Yeah, so I did that, and I started talking in various places, and in 2009, I got a radio show on uh, 1220 The Word that guy was doing a show, and he invited me to come and talk about Messianic Judaism. And after I did the show, he said, would you like to take over the show? Because I don't want to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. So in early 2009, I've been on the radio every Sunday night on 1220 The Word at 730. And it used to be an hour show until I retired. and made it a half hour show, so it would cost less. And I don't know, YouTube channel and uh, podcast and two websites. And then the last thing I'll say is about six years ago, we started this ministry called One in Messiah. We meet on Friday nights at 6.15. That's kind of the whole picture. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool, though. I think what I appreciate the most is how the Lord just led you into a Messianic congregation. Because, you know... Yes. you've had the opportunities to learn so much of the meaning of scripture from the old Testament, because whenever someone gets saved in the church, we tell them, right, go right to the new Testament, go to the book of John's jot in the gospels. Sure. And we want to introduce them to Jesus right away. But what they don't realize is Jesus is in the old Testament. Yeshua is throughout the old Testament. And, we just don't see that, you know, sometimes if I bring it up to people yes. in Exodus, I want to say 23 or 25, but it's one of those. And and God tells Moses that he's going to send his angel with him and his angel has my name. Do what he says. And it's like, that's the Messiah. That is Jesus, you know, and yes. You know, yes, he was called an angel, and sometimes he's yes. called even the angel of the army, the angel of, of hosts. And and Joshua, I think he was called the angel of the army of God. And but it's it's the Messiah, and it's yes. just and we just miss it. We just miss it because some commentators pass it off as just an angel of God. And the one thing that I've been able to realize, and I would tell, I even have talked about it with my husband in John and even in Daniel, when yes. an angel came to them, yes. both Daniel and John wanted to bow down. And it says they fell at their feet, you know, fell on their face. And 
And the angel said, oh, no, 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 no. Don't worship me. Don't worship me. Get up. Don't worship me. So when you see someone following their face in scripture and the angel, and I say that in quotes, doesn't tell them to get up and not worship them, then you know that it's the Messiah. Exactly. You know, you, well, you know, the Hebrew term Malach Adonai, angel of the Lord. You know, angel means a messenger, usually. And we use the word angel from Angelos in the Greek. But the Malach Adonai does not mean an angel like Gabriel or Michael. It is Yeshua. It is Jesus. And even, even the burning bush, you know, it says the angel of the Lord was in the bush. The angel of the Lord was going to go over the land in Egypt. and But then it's it's also... Along with the angel of the Lord, it says, I, you know, this is holy ground, right. take off your right. shoes. You know, and an angel wouldn't say that. Oh, yeah. And I mean, there's some of the examples we could we could go through it. But when Yeshua says, all the scriptures testify of me, he doesn't say like, well, there's two chapters in this book that testify of me and a couple of verses here. Pretty much all of this book, this one and eh, not so much. He says, all of it does. And so this is why. In my mind, when you study Torah, actually the whole Tanakh, because the, the prophets and the writings as well, but especially Torah, when you study Torah, you, you have the basis of, number one, why we need a Messiah. Number two, what Messiah is going to do. Number three, how Messiah is going to do that. Because when you think about it, the, the Torah is about, Creation in the fall, it's the most of the rest of it is about blood atonement. Everything is red, everything is blood. People read through, you know, Leviticus has been called the tar pit of the Bible. Because, you know, you start reading Leviticus and you go, oh man, mm. it's horrible. And by the third chapter, you can't read this anymore. But the reason it's all that messy blood and stuff is that sin is messy business. Right. And when you sin, you forfeit your life. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so all this was about blood. You know, there was the, the red yard, the red, the scarlet thread, right. the Rahab, right. and the red heifer, and the blood sacrifices, and Yom Kippur with the blood going into the veil, you know. And the writer to the Hebrews says, you know, the power, the blood of bulls and goats has no power to take away sin. I mean, if I sacrifice a goat in my backyard, I still have my sins. Mm-hmm. You know, if I go sacrifice. If Stephanie and I say, well, we're going to sacrifice a bull, you know, to atone for our sins, we're still being our sins. Right. Because that's not right. going to do it. But it's a prefigurement of Yeshua, the eternal high priest. The writer to the Hebrews says he goes through the veil, which is the heavens, and he goes to the throne of God with his blood. So it's the perfect sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So if you understand Torah and you understand the law, then you can understand Messiah. You get an appreciation of what grace is. And like you alluded to, people say, well, you know, I, I only look at the New Testament. I, you know, I only like to read, you know, in the Old Testament, there's all those names, there's all those battles. God was really mean. Now he's nice, but then he was really mean. I say, well, if you start studying in Matthew 1 1, number one, you miss two thirds of the scripture. You miss two thirds of the scripture. And number two is you don't understand what Yeshua came to do. 
Right. And so it's such a foundation. Mm-hmm. And you get such a, a, um, an appreciation that it led me to think in my mind one day, if, if you don't think about the cross 20 times a day, you don't get what happened there. You don't get what happened. There isn't anything. You know, when I was in my office, I would witness to everybody and people would say, wow, you take this Jesus stuff really seriously. And I would say, well, what else should I take seriously? You know, should mm-hmm. I worry about my cholesterol or should I worry about my sin? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. And you you make a lot of good points because if we didn't understand what the temple was, then we wouldn't understand who Jesus is, who the Messiah is. And then when you look at the high priest and their job, well, then you hear in Hebrews again that Jesus is the high priest. He came to be our high priest. So he's the sacrifice, and this gets confusing, but he's the high priest who offers, you know, the sacrifice, but he's also the sacrifice, and he's also the altar, because the horns on the altar, all of that was it was every single thing yep. in the altar, the light, yes. the the flame that never went out, and the I mean everything, the washing of the water, the washing, the every single thing points back to who the Messiah was going to be. So every time they went into the temple, which actually the opening was in the the tribe of Judah is where the temple opening or the tabernacle opening went. So they had to come through the tribe of Judah, which who is Jesus, but he's from the tribe of Judah. And so you go in through the tribe of Judah, in through the opening of the tabernacle back in the days of Moses and and David. And and it just started from there, your progression through it of knowing and discovering who the Messiah was going to be. You're right. Going through Judah. And that reminds me, as you were saying that, about the ladder that Jacob describes in Genesis. Mm. And even though Jacob's asleep, he sees this ladder that goes to heaven and there's angels going up and down. And some translations say God was above it. Some translations say God was beside him. But there's a ladder going up and down and God is above the ladder. The ladder connects. And then when Yeshua meets Nathaniel, which is one of my favorite passages in the whole New Testament, He says, you're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So what Yeshua is saying is, what Jacob saw, that Jacob's ladder, is me. I'm the way to go to heaven. Angels are ascending and descending, but I'm the ladder that goes there. There's not 58 ladders or four ladders. There's not even two ladders. I'm the ladder. That's neat. And you brought up Nathaniel because... Hebrew uses a lot of idioms, just like we do, just like English language does. And if we, we said, I use this example a lot, but don't count your chickens before they hatch. If we said that to somebody in another country, they're like, what do you mean? What do you mean? (laughs) Hebrew has the same kinds of things. And from what I understand, the Greeks had a hard time kind of translating some of those Hebrew idioms. And and I think of one because I, I've heard this and I'm, I'm wondering what you have heard, if this is true. But when Jesus told Nathaniel, I saw you under the tree, I saw you under, was it the olive tree? I saw you under the tree. Fig tree. The fig the tree. Fig tree. Well, the, well, 
from what I understand, that was an idiom of he saw him studying the Torah. Exactly right. That was a um, that was a saying that they used. I mean, people actually did sit under fig trees and pray, and but that was an idiom that was used to say that somebody was contemplating the scripture, somebody was studying, somebody was trying to understand the scripture. They would say he's sitting under the fig tree. Mm-hmm. So when when Yeshua says, "I saw you sitting under the fig tree," Nathaniel has an immediate reaction to this. Because we look at it and say, eh, so what? You know, it would be like us saying, oh, I saw you sitting over there by the pine tree. And we'd say, oh, yeah, so what? But he has this like, wow, you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. And just as you think like, wow, how, how did he get that out of that? But he was blown away by that because right. of exactly of what you just said. Yes. And there were lots of things like that within scripture, old and new that happen and are said in that way. And we look at it as big deal, but it means something in the Hebrew language. It meant something in the Hebrew culture. And, and we miss that because we don't know those little idioms and, and you don't get to know them until you, you study them. Even in Matthew, it talks about the good eye and the bad eye and the good eye is has light and the bad eye is darkness and and then immediately after that it's um he goes into don't be a lover of money and you can't love god in money that's what it was you can't love god in money so it's like how do i go from i a good eye and a bad eye to being a lover of god or money and the idiom it's about if you have a good eye you are a generous person if you have a bad eye you're a selfish person and that's a hebrew idiom and so that's why God says, if you're a selfish person and you won't give your money away, then you love the money more than you love me. Oh, that's great. Yes. So there's so many of those that are throughout scripture. When you saying that, you know, brings up a really good point. When Yeshua gives the great commission, he says to go out and make disciples. He doesn't say, just go out and tell people about me. Or if you feel like it, you might mention me once in a while. Or he doesn't say, look, I'm just looking for some people that might show up on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning and sing a couple of songs and go home. And I mean, no pressure, but no, disciple, you know, the same root as discipline. It's a discipline. And, you know, the the the, the Greeks had disciples because they were people who learned from the philosophers. And all those teachers had disciples. I mean, Yeshua wasn't the only one who had a disciple. All those teachers had disciples, and you studied under the teacher, and you learned. So like what you're saying is, you know, if you read a few verses of Scripture and you say, okay, I read it, that's great, and it's good that you read it. But as a disciple, you should want to know the depth of it. What is the Hebrew word here, or what is the Greek word here? You know, read a commentary that says, oh, when the Hebrew said this, this is what they meant. And you go, whoa, and your understanding opens up. And it isn't just words. Well, it's never just words on a page, but you know what I mean? It's living and breathing. But when you understand the depth of it, right. you have to take it in the context of the culture. You know, we, I always complain to people about, you know, we always just see pictures of European Jesus. You know, some, mm-hmm. some churches, he looks, he looks like he's from Sweden. You know, he's got mm-hmm. blonde hair and blue eyes. And, 
you know, you see nativity scenes in churches where maybe Jesus has curly blonde hair and big blue eyes. <laughs> you say, wait a minute. <laughs> Who's that baby? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Because you have to look at the context that he lived in, the context that the whole word was written in, and the language, the idioms, the sayings of the people were very, very important. Mm-hmm. The culture, the history. Yeah. We know, I mean, America is a very young country, and so we don't have a lot of history like the Jews do. You know, like the Jewish nation right. of Israel, they have this huge history that goes back to what we call Genesis, you know, in the Bible. And so yeah. they go back and they they know yeah. their forefathers and and they know those the patriarchs and they they remember in the feast what God did for them through Exodus and, or I should say Moses in this case, through Moses and, you know, through Esther, they have a feast that celebrates what happened in Esther. And, and then, and, and then Hanukkah is a feast to celebrate what happened through um, the Maccabees. Right. So, so they, they celebrate their history. They have feasts to remember and that's exactly what it means god gave them the feast so they will remember their past remember their what god has been doing for them what he has done and what he is going to do yeah you see that in the torah and other places in the tanakh where god tells them to build a memorial and they put a pile of stones god says when you're when you're walking here with your children and your children say what is the meaning of these stones then you tell your children that this is what happened here on this spot. The people came across the Jordan, and this is what happened. Or the people did this, and this is where it happened. So that you transmit that, not only as an oral history, but to strengthen the faith. Just like in the Via Hafta, where it says you teach this diligently to your children, you teach them also diligently about their history. Exactly. The history of the people. You know, I, I I heard a young Jewish man in, in Jerusalem one day who was, was doing a tour, and I could overhear what he was saying, and he was walking down the Mount of Olives and get a good view of the Temple Mount, and this young man, who looked like he was probably 20, said to his tour group, well, you know, there's two mosques there now, and I don't personally care whether there's a mosque or a temple or a church. He says, I don't care if they make it a garbage dump. So I took him aside and I said, you know, this is your heritage. This is your history. This is the history of the God of Israel who made this the holiest place on earth because this is where he put his name. What are you saying? And he just like blew me off with a couple of jokes. But, you know, you have to learn what your history is. Yes. And when we're grafted in. Then it becomes our history. Yes, exactly. We're nourished by the roots. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we too often just kind of, oh yeah, whatever. But remember is the most repeated word throughout scripture. Yeah. And God is constantly telling them to remember. I mean, the priest had to wear yes. a stone for the 12 right. tribes. Like they didn't know them. That's right. They knew who the 12 tribes were. They didn't, and they had them written on their shoulder. They knew who they were. They didn't have to to have it written on their chest and their shoulders, but yet God told them to remember. This is a remembrance, yes. and it's it's very important. Well, you know, Paul, Paul even tells Timothy, 
that, you know, when you're a teacher, you have to not only learn the things, but you have to go over it over and over again so that you can teach it better. You know, it's a Martin Luther, one of my favorite Martin Luther quotes was, you have to hear the gospel over and over again because we're so mule headed that we forget about it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But God is always saying, remember, remember, remember. You're right. It's the most common word is remember or behold. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or yes, but we forget. We forget from one day to the next what God has done for us. And and I know that, you know, when I sit down to pray, I try to remember what do I need to thank him for? Oh, yes. He answered this prayer yesterday. I saw an answer to that. I saw yeah. him take away somebody's sickness. And I thank him for that. I, whatever it is, whatever he has done, even if I just asked him for peace in a situation and he did it, then it's remembering, yes, he did it. And he likes to be reminded of these things. He likes to be reminded of what he's done and how thankful we are for it. I commonly do teachings about the wanderings in the wilderness. And when my wife and I do a lot of Messianic Passover seders, they always use the point where when the people were delivered from physical slavery and then wandered in the wilderness, we're delivered from a slavery to sin. And then we wander around in the wilderness, which is the rest of our life. And like the people in the wilderness rebelled. And when you read, you know, through Torah, you know, every time you turn the page, there's another rebellion that, that starts up. And we, as believers in Messiah and who are following Yeshua do the same thing. And like you were just saying, Stephanie, you have to remind yourself of the things because the people in the wilderness had the manna coming every day. The water came when it had to come. The quail came when it had to come. They saw the Shekinah glory. They got the law, got that covenant, cloud lifted, they moved. And then when there was a rebellion, it was basically, okay, we saw all this stuff, but like, what have you done lately? You know, we as believers say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Messiah did all that stuff for us. God loves us so much. He's done all that stuff. But like, what's he doing for me right now? You know, I want him to do something else like right now. And so you have to remind yourself all the time mm-hmm. about what he's done and how he's done it. And, you know, we everybody talks about we live in an entitlement society. Well, we're not really entitled to anything. <laughs> right. I always, you've probably heard this saying, you know, when you pray, you never say to God, just give me what I deserve. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> That's a dangerous prayer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And uh, we're getting to the end of our time, but this has been a pleasure. And uh, you have a lot of knowledge, a lot of wisdom to share. And I know that we could go on for another hour. And, um, <laughs> But we'll definitely talk again. Definitely do this again. Thank you very much. Thank you, Stephanie. Thanks for listening to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and recommend it to your friends and family. And don't forget to check out my Bible study, Jewels of Hebrews. That's all for today. See you next time.